Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and greetings to our church in Corpus Christi that's using our service to fulfill their vacancy. I am looking forward to preaching this sermon to you because I get to marry an Old Testament story that's one of my favorites, probably yours too, to a very helpful passage that will give you peace as you live out your life without seeing Jesus. The story in the Old Testament is about Joseph, the descendant of Abraham. Remember, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. The 11th son was Joseph, and he was favored, coat of many colors. Remember that story? Joseph was given dreams by God that gave him a destiny of greatness. Everybody would bow down to him. He foolishly told that to his brothers who were already jealous of him. They only hated him more, that some tried to kill him. One rescued him only so that they would sell him, their own brother, into slavery. This is all in Genesis. Remember how he was sold into slavery and then God was with him and it got better. But then Potiphar, his boss wife, seduced him and he wouldn't do it. And so she lies about him and instead of vindicating him, <clears throat> God let him go right off to prison. A squalor of a prison. And there he suffers, but God is with him and he gets to be trustee of the jail. And then the cupbearer and the baker have dreams and Joseph interprets them. And the cup, he says, remember me, cupbearer, when you get reinstated. And what happened? He forgot him. Now, that just took me about a minute and 20 seconds, because I timed it before, to review that with you. It took 20 years of Joseph's life. His brother's action of selling him into slavery ripped off 20 years of his life. You know, when you hear those reports about a guy unjustly punished in prison, and then he gets out after 25 years, how your heart just sinks? That's Joseph. He had every reason to be lost in anger and resentment and vengeance. And when his brothers come because they have to beg for food from the head of Egypt, remember Joseph was elevated by Pharaoh, second in command after interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. Here's his brothers, they don't recognize him. He had every reason to get a pound of flesh. And he didn't just do the opposite, but he said some things that are amazing for any believer to listen to. He said to his brothers, <clears throat> don't be angry with yourselves. Are you kidding me? I mean, don't you sit around when somebody hurts you badly and think, I hope they feel bad that they hurt me, right? It gives me value, right? Totally other-oriented, totally God-oriented. He says, don't be angry with yourselves. And then he says, what is is good for every believer to hear. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to save for us a remnant of our family and to save millions of lives. God intended it for good. And so goes the history of Joseph's family throughout the entire Old Testament. Two-thirds of the Bible, 17 books dedicated to the history of Israel and the whole history of Israel is God lets lots of things happen, but it's always for the good of Israel. For instance, God let them wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their hard hearts for the good of Israel. God let them complain about the manna for the good of Israel. God sent quail that made them sick so they'd run back to God for the good of Israel. He, he made Moab try to attack them, but he stopped them short for the good of Israel. And then he let Moab tempt them into idolatry 
for the good of Israel. He let them conquer Jericho in that seven-day march for the good of Israel. I'm getting tired of saying this. You get to say for the good of Israel, okay, after I say it. He, he raised up judges to help them in the dark period of the judges. Some of the judges were kind of bad. And times were dark and people were doing some terrible things during the judges. He raised up Saul as king, but then he downwardly spiraled. Then he raised up a man after his own heart, King David. And then he let David sin with Bathsheba. There were good prophets that never wrote a book, but they're, they're wrote, written about Elijah and Elisha. <clears throat> there were 17 prophets that wrote all about God's promises to an obstinate people. And then he let the Greeks take over the world. Oh, now we're getting into world history. And then he let the Romans take over from the Greeks. And then he let Caesar Augustus issue a decree that got Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. And then Jesus was born for the good of Israel. Let's keep going. And then he, and then he had all these self-righteous Jews around him. And then he was killed by the Romans and rose again. No, not for the good of Israel. This is where the Bible takes a right turn. The hinge of history, the four Gospels. Jesus says to a Jewish leader in the heart of Jer Jerusalem, Nicodemus, chapter 3 of John, for God so loved the Gentiles, the goyim, the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, not Jews for the good of Israel, but all people can be saved by me. He says in the next chapter to the woman at the well, salvation isn't for the Jews, it's from the Jews for all people. The Apostle Paul was the quintessential Jew. He says in his letter to the Philippians, I was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was, a, I was the best of Jews. There wasn't one Hebrew that impressed me more than myself. And I count it all to be rubbish compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Savior. And then we come to what's printed for you. Okay. By the way, go to the next slide. The temple was ripped open so that God would say the Gentiles were welcome. Now go to the next slide. We're at our text. It's, uh, it's now for the good of the church that Jesus does all things. And this, the text is in your bulletin. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to look at it with me while I preach it to you. For the good of the church. That's what ascension is about. Jesus is in heaven ruling all things for the good, not of Israel alone, but for the good of the church. That's what Paul says. And Paul's the quintessential Jew saying that to people of Jewish and Gentile background who are in Ephesus where he started the church. So here's Paul. He started a church in Ephesus. He was there three years. He leaves. He's now in prison in Rome under the Romans for the good of the church. And he's writing hope. He's like Joseph. He's in prison, but he's filled with hope. Joseph was filled with hope, although he lost 20 years of his life. Do you see a theme? If you don't nod, I'll keep preaching longer and longer. Yeah, I see a theme. So here's, here's the Apostle Paul. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you having that faith, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Everybody read that phrase with me. 
so that you may know him better. I can't do justice to these words in this short time, but I'll tell you this. God, once he brings you to faith in his son who loves you, wants you to know him better. And to know him better is to know his promises and his, what he's up to and what he's doing. Like, where is Jesus? He's ascended into heaven. What's he doing? He's watching over all things for the good of the church. And he's not watching over your life like you and I sit on the couch and click through the channels. He's not clicking on you and then you and then you and then you and just kind of, which one do I feel like watching today? Every single hair on your head is counted. Jesus is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the God of all things that saved all people. And he proved it when he walked the earth that he knows the thoughts of all people. And he knows everything going on in your life. And you need that preached to you and so do I because it feels like, because we can't see him, we're kind of just out there, right? And then all that bad stuff that happens to us, it feels like we're kind of just ignored. And it isn't true. Joseph lived 2,000 years before Christ. So did Job. Both of those guys saw God in their heart through the word of God. And that's why Job said, I know that in the end I will see my Redeemer and my eyes will behold him after my flesh has been destroyed. And Joseph saw God and his promises because they'd been given to his granddaddy Abraham or his great-granddaddy and then granddaddy Isaac and his daddy Jacob and they'd been passed on to him. And he knew that whatever was happening to him was for the good of Israel. So when he saw his brothers come, he said, God's saving for us a remnant because Joseph knew the promise that the remnant would bring a savior. That's why he said, when, late, later, when I die, save my bones and carry them off to Israel because we're going back there and someday a savior's coming there. That's what he's intimating. All of that without seeing Jesus any more than any of you. In fact, You've seen more of Jesus because you've, you've lived 2,000 years after him. And we've even got fantastic movies about Jesus based on the Gospels, right? Like The Chosen. And yet, you can be dragging your jaw on the ground and mad at people and angry and vengeful and seeing only what you lost in a situation just like the rest of us. And you need your faith strengthened. And that's why God on Ascension Sunday has given you this word. And Paul says, you want to know God better? He's watching over for your good and the good of the church. I'm going to jump back into the text at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you won't be walking around in the dark in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, his incomparably great power for us who believe, God has the power to get you through this, whatever this is for you, and he's got the power to get your soul to heaven, which is his goal. This power is the same mighty strength that he exerted when Christ Jesus was raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. Uh-oh, there's ascension. That's why this reading is chosen for Ascension Sunday. God raised Jesus from the dead and then he ascended into heaven. And the same power that he used to raise him from the dead and ascend him into heaven is the power that's ready for us to get us through this and get our souls to heaven and our bodies to raise up on the last day. Jesus is far above all rule and authority and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now go to the last verse. Read this one with me, please, out loud. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the good of the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is our house, right? Christian house. So we're going to talk ethnocentrically, Christian ethnocentrically. We are the center of Jesus' universe as Christians. All Christians are. The church is not a building, it's a people. Anyone who calls on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is a member of his church. He's ruling everything in everyone's life in big events, macro and micro, for, the, for our good. Everything's for our good. Bitcoin, it's for our good. Social injustice, it's for our good. Cancer, car wrecks, revelation. A third of the people die of this, a third of the people who die of that. It's for the good of the church. We lose a called worker, it's for the good of the church. We open a new church, it's for the good of the church. We, God, God gives you a great report because the doctor treated you and it went really well for the good of the church. You get a report that there's nothing more that we can do. It's for your mom and daddy cut you off. Your mom and daddy said they were sorry. You learned some new spiritual things from your Bible study. You open the Bible and you can't figure out even what to look at because you can't find any peace that day. Everything he allows, everything he watches over, that's the story of Job. Job had no idea that there was this battlefield of his own life happening. He was the battlefield, devil and God going at it. And God just let him go for the good of Israel to lead up to the Christ for the good of the church. So here's my thing. We do a lot of watching when we read the Bible. We watch people like Joseph and Job and we go, man, you guys are heroes. But we fully, at times, do not intend to be like them. So our prayers are like Paul's prayer, get rid of the thorn in the flesh, get rid of the thorn in the flesh, get rid of, and God says, oh no, this is for the good of the church. This, my grace is sufficient for you. And my, here's my thing, as your pastor and your friend, God wants you and me to be like Joseph and Job and Paul. He wants us to quit grousing, quit getting even, quit trying to get ours, and quit replaying over and over and over again what people did to hurt us. We can park it all at the promise that he's ruling over all things for the good of the church because that is God's word. You want to know him better? Apply what I just said, because it's God's word. Preach it to yourself when you're grouchy, sad, depressed, in the dark. Last week, I was up in Minnesota for the assignments of our teacher graduates to different schools. We got four coming to our little district of churches down here in Texas. Okay. But I met with an old friend of mine. His name is Ron Wells. For you Wellsers, it's funny. His last name actually has one L in it, W-E-L-S. Like the quintessential Lutheran, right? Last name has it. Ron Wells. We've been friends for about 35 years, Mary and I and he and his wife, Faith. We met when I was, we were in school. Um, Ron still lives in Minnesota. I got back to Texas as the Lord sent me for the good of the church as fast as I could. But I was up there. We had coffee together. After I'd gone to the hospital, Faith, his wife, has had a brain tumor for two years. 
she, uh, when I went to see her in the hospital, laying there in her hospital bed, her mother's right there, her husband's right there, she said, she, they, they said, you know what Faith says all the time, and they looked over at her, and she goes, yeah, if God wants to heal me from this, he can, but anyway, you know how when a tumor keeps you from saying that much anymore? She goes, anyway, we go to heaven. So her whole saying throughout two years of a tumor is, anyway, we go to heaven. For the good of the church, right? And her husband, although he's sad, is not, he's not blown away. So we're at breakfast, and Ron says, I'm going to tell you a story, Don. And he goes, you're not going to believe it. And now, Ron, 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 is, uh, Ron and I are a lot alike. We get grouchy really easily. And we both know that. So two guys talking, you know, you're friends for 35 years. You kind of have some assumed things. So he goes, he goes I'm going to tell you a story. He goes, when the first six months that she got this brain tumor, she had to go up to the Twin Cities, which is an hour and a half drive. And she was in the hospital. And he goes, I was staying at a hotel kind of near there. And, he, and this, is what, this is the way he told the story. The hotel was in the exact neighborhood where George Floyd was killed. And he said, I was driving back to the hotel after getting some bad news from the doctor. And he said, a, a, a middle-aged guy was on his phone not paying attention and plowed into the side of my pickup truck at an intersection. And he goes, you know me. My first inclination, because I looked around, I was okay, was to get out and just gripe him out. And he said, I felt like one of the apostles at Pentecost because the Holy Spirit grabbed my tongue before I said anything. He said, the guy walked up dazed. He said, here I am, a 62-year-old white male. He's a middle-aged black man in the same neighborhood where George Floyd was killed. And the man walks up to me and he goes, it's all my fault. I was on my phone. I wasn't paying attention and I don't have insurance. And Ron said, I was about to say something scolding. And I opened my mouth and said, are you okay? And then he said, it's okay. This is just stuff. It can all be replaced. And Jesus died to forgive us of things like this anyway. And he said, the guy's eyes got really big. And he said, Don, it's just like, I didn't plan to say any of this. I just got whacked. And I said, do you know what Jesus died for us to, to, to forgive us for things like that? And he goes, I know Jesus, but I've been away from him a long time. Tears running down his cheek. Ron said, I put my hand on his shoulder. And I said, can I pray for you? Ron's a died in the wool Lutheran. We don't pray for people in the middle of the street. <laughs> We're scared to do that. And he goes, there I was on the same streets where George Floyd was killed. Two races coming together in Jesus. One whacked the other one. We're not worried about the stuff. We're praying together. And he goes, he Venmoed me whatever he could and ended up covering the deductible. My own insurance covered the rest. And he goes, Don, I still can't believe it. God just took my tongue over. So I'm gonna ask you, dear friends, why was Ron at that intersection that day? For the good of the church. And why did that man come out and admit it was his fault for the good of the church? And why did he not have insurance? It's for the good of the church. And why, see, the church in Texas with 200 plus people are getting blessed because Ron got whacked. And the Holy Spirit gave him the faith and the love and the truth he needed to live the gospel. The same gospel that Joseph lived, the same gospel that Paul the apostle lived. Now do you see a theme? 
I can stop preaching. <laughs> Amen.